When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Radio. I'm your host, ML Wieschak. I'm here with special guest, Carla Carlisle. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, ML. Now you do a little bit of different things on your website. So which came first? Well, what came first was the lived experience. So through becoming a foster mom, And then eventually adopting my son and just trying to support a child that experienced extensive trauma, Mm -hmm. it propelled me to learn more. And as I learned more, I felt it was really important to educate others so that they could uh, join in this movement to end the stigma of mental health and and really reduce uh, suicide as well as just lift up each other. And, you know, through my experiences, it was really an eight year journey to me becoming his mother. Uh, Through that experience, I really lost myself in a lot of ways. And so that's what kind of prompted me to focus in on caregivers, because as caregivers, oftentimes we take care of others almost to our own detriment or to our own detriment. And we end up like on empty and, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So, you know, it, I just saw it very important to focus in on not just our children and whoever we're caring for, but also as caregivers that we make sure that we take care of ourselves. Exactly. How many of us have someone in our family that has some type of mental health issue it could be something they're born with it could be from a traumatic experience it could be even dementia and things like this absolutely older so caregiving expands everything it expands everything and if you think about it uh it's between one and four, one and five people have a mental health condition at any given time. But with the pandemic, that statistic raised uh, went up to as many as one and two, which makes a lot of sense when you consider the impact of the pandemic and all of the different uh, turbulent times we've had over the last couple of years that mental health conditions would be on the rise, uh, as well as uh, suicide is on the rise also. So those are all, I'm sorry. It is on the rise. And it's something we talk about all the time on the show is the mental health. We have to get 
out there. We have to do more to raise people up instead of tearing yes. them down. Yes. So I started off with uh, my first book, which is called Journey to the Sun. And it's just really a raw, uncut chronology of my journey to motherhood. From that, I realized that while it's great that I shared my story, you know, what can I do with my story that can really help others? And that led me to doing a TEDx talk called Becoming Trauma-Informed Changed My Life. And from there, I was just propelled forward to, you know, my son and I have done an interactive children's workbook called My Big Notebook. And I have another book coming out later on this year for um, fostering and adoptive caregivers to support them uh, through their process. Because I can tell you something like becoming a foster parent, you can take all the training in the world and you can have all the theory, but once you actually get into it and the reality of it sinks in, you're very, uh, I was not prepared. And so I share with other potential foster parents and, and adoptive parents, kind of some of the realities of that journey. And I also tapped into other uh, fostering and adoptive caregivers to share some of their insights and they're just recurring themes. And, and so my desire is to really in action uh, support people who are struggling in whatever way they are. And so I have a lot of parents who reach out to me, a lot of different caregivers, uh, and typically they're in crisis. And so I try to leverage, I really leverage this decade of experience I have uh, dealing with a child that's experienced extensive trauma, going through my own trauma, uh, and just learning so much through therapy and training and just life experience that we really can help each other. And what feels like something that's insurmountable in the moment will pass. And it's important that we get help in order to get over that hump. Exactly. You can look at any statistic with fostering. 90% of those kids are coming from parents that were less than stellar, let's put it that way. They have had been through some type of trauma because of what they've been through. It could not be physical trauma. They could be seeing something, hearing something, tasting something. We don't know what they went through all the time when we get them. So the way I would put it, the way I would say it is that every child in foster care has experienced trauma because no matter what the relationship may be, being taken from your parents is traumatic. Even, is if they, even if they needed to be separated from their parents. And the other thing that I've realized, and especially through my six-year relationship with my son's birth mom, is, is that she experienced extensive trauma as a child as well. And so there's this cycle of intergenerational trauma that can just be passed down uh, without some type of intervention. And when I say intervention, it's not always, and hopefully it's not about, you know, removing a child from a home necessarily as much as it is the adults becoming educated on 
different ways to parent, different ways to love and understanding with actions and words that love should not hurt. Exactly. We've grown from the society in the 1980s to now where we should know different types of parenting. It doesn't always mean the corporal punishment to the point where the child has to be removed in those circumstances. We should have evolved. We have to still train our parents today how to evolve past that. Yeah, and what I would say is, you know, in meeting my son's birth mom, it, it was one of the most humbling experiences of my life because what I basically had to do was take everything I knew about life and set it aside because see, I grew up in, in not a rich home, but a comfortable home where we didn't, we weren't starving for food. We weren't homeless. We weren't dealing with any of those things. And my foundation was based on love. In her situation, she had to, at a very young age, protect herself from the people who were supposed to be protecting her. She learned not to trust people and not to trust authority because all she experienced was loss and pain. So when you start living life in survival mode, your brain starts functioning differently. And if you think about it, like I look at my son and some of the situations that he was in, uh, when a child, if you think about, think about it this way, um, let's say you're in the forest and you see a bear and the bear is coming at you. The hair on the back of your neck is standing up. You're at attention. You're at alert. You're panicking, right? Mm -hmm. But at some point the bear is gone, but think about if you're in the house and that bear is always there, how does that child then go to school and have a calm mind and focus and learn and socialize like all the other kids who got a kiss goodnight before they went to bed. So I go back to his birth mother and, and it made me realize that things that I felt like were real basic that everyone understands, like it takes a village to raise a child. Every parent wants better for their child. That was my assumption. She didn't have those experiences. She actually had not heard either one of those things before ever. So when you're living life in survival mode and you're just trying to stay alive, life looks very different. So I had to really put my judgment aside and recognize that her foundation was a very, very different from mine. And I say like, but for the grace of God, go I, because I don't know who I would be or how I would be if I lived in that survival and protection mode my entire young adult, young life. I don't know who I would be or what I would be. I just don't know. And so I think that parents, people who become parents who have those experiences, they do need help and support. I mean, we all need it but especially in those kinds of circumstances, because things like how to parent look very different when you're trying to just stay alive versus when you're comfortable. Does that make sense? Oh, no, no, no. It makes perfect sense mm -hmm. because I have been in the survival mode as a child yes. and then went into the comfortable mode 
-hmm. later. But mm -hmm. at the same time, the survival mode was still there in school. So yes. I seen all of yes. it. Yes. And it makes perfect sense to me. Yes. And I think that when you have someone who had those experiences and then mental health comes into play and the person is still operating in survival mode. So my son's birth mother has a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And then these negative coping mechanisms come in like drug abuse and, and then there's domestic violence and all of these other factors that come into play. Uh, it's, it's so very difficult to have a quote unquote normal childhood uh, for the child that lives in that house. And my son was child number 11 of this birth mother and she had lost her parental rights to the other 10. But what happened from what I know in each and every case, there was no help and no support. And by the time I met her, she just didn't trust anybody and wasn't would not accept any help at all. I mean, financial help, yes, but as far as like therapy and things like that, she was resistant because at the end of the day, the concern was that they were going to take this baby. I understand because I actually have family members that are in the your son's birth mother's mother's shoes. Yes. I didn't meet these family members until here recently. And, you know, you go 30, 40 years, not trusting people, all of a sudden you're trying to trust and you mm -hmm. can't. It, it's very difficult. I'm not going to say it's impossible because I am a believer and I believe mm -hmm. that anything can, can happen and anything can change. And I, when my son asked about his birth parents, because he was with them for six years and he's 12 now. So when, when we talk about it, I don't say anything negative about them. What I talk about is he knows that they're not well. Exactly. It's not, oh, we have to put the parents down. We don't have to put that negative. That's right. That's right. It's just something that they're not well right now. They can't be with you right now. They still love you. Well, now, and that's an interesting yeah. statement because the therapist told me don't tell him that his birth parents love him because as he's growing up and his mind is developing, we don't want him to think that love hurts because he went through a lot of pain. So that was a lesson for me. So when I tell you, I've been like a sponge, just learning and receiving. And as I do, you know, I, I have my take on it and then I share with others and they take, you know, whatever nuggets are meaningful to them. And sometimes it could be, you know, weeks later, years later, and you think, hmm, this actually does apply to me. And I, I can ask for help when I need it. And, and I'll be the first person to raise my hand and say, I was not a person who felt comfortable asking for help. But by the time I got custody of my son, I was over $100,000 in debt. I was 40 pounds overweight. I had alienated a lot of my support system and I was really feeling alone. And I thought this is what I've prayed for all this time is to have my relationship with my son without threats, without violence, just us being safe together. So now I have this and what do I have left to give to him? And so it became this situation where, you know, that, that saying that you hear on the airplane, right? 
uh, you have to put your mask on first to help your loved ones. And so it, it came to a point where I had to just say like, hey, I've got to do some things differently and I've got to reach out for some help because I was a staunch advocate for him and I still am, but I was not for myself. That is very true. I mean, if you go through, in my case, from being a caregiver to someone with mental health issues, you have to do for yourself first. It's not being um, selfish, no. but if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. You absolutely cannot. And, and so self-care to me is, you know, yeah, there's manicures and pedicures and that kind of thing, but it's so much deeper than that to me. Mm -hmm. It's like, I now take the time and space that I need for myself and I make sure that I have support so that, you know, if I need some time away, if I need some space, you know, my son is well taken care of. And I make sure that I do that and, and the support system in terms of just, you know, mom needs a break sometimes, you know, or mm -hmm. mom needs help with, you know, my son is super smart, but he does have some developmental delays. So, you know, we've done occupational therapy and physical therapy and different things like that. That's not my area of expertise. So why wouldn't I look to an expert to help me with that? Exactly. I mean, when my daughter was younger, she's autistic. She was in mm -hmm. OT. She was in PT. Mm -hmm. She was in all these different yes. therapies because that's not mm -hmm. my specialty. I didn't right. know how to handle that. That's right. You have to ask for help. Yes. And, and it's interesting that you mentioned your daughter is on the spectrum because earlier today I was uh, in a meeting with uh, a woman that I work with sometimes and and she has her own organization a nonprofit uh, focused on autism and particularly with with young adults because you know as we know um, a child with autism can often be held back from you know being successful in life if they don't have you know support and even if they do have support there can be limitations but mm -hmm you know, with, with this particular woman, um, you know, her attitude is, you know, they're going to fl fly and soar as, as much as we support them to do it, you know, and, and I really resonate with that. And, and the other thing I would say is while my son has post-traumatic stress disorder, there are some similarities with some children on the spectrum. So there are some sensory things and, and uh, there are some behaviors that can, can look very similar. In fact, they initially wanted to test him for autism and it was pretty, pretty quickly the uh, psychiatrist said, no, he's definitely not on the spectrum. And he, he's not, but there are, again, some similarities. And so I learned from that mom, you know, yeah. I, I just try to pull from, from, wherever I go, whoever I meet, whoever I interact with, there's something I can learn. Exactly. It doesn't matter what, if they're on the spectrum, off the spectrum, it doesn't matter if they have mental health. It doesn't matter what the issue is. We learn from each other. We can take a little nugget and go, okay, this worked for this child. Mm -hmm. Let's see if something mm -hmm. similar works for my child. And that's really why uh, I developed my big notebook, which I have here. 
uh, with my son, my 12 year old son, JC. And the idea behind this book was to give uh, kids, I call it a buddy in a book, mm -hmm. but it's a safe space for kids to first, you know, we teach some basic concepts at a kid's level, like the cognitive triangle, thoughts, feelings, and actions. We talk a little bit about triggers. We give examples from JC's life that are real stories. And then we pull the child in and, and give them some exercises, but it's not like homework. It's like, you know, these are about your feelings. And like, here's an example, if you can see this, you know, we went through a couple of scenarios and then we share a coping mechanism like square breathing. And so he expresses that. And then we have these leading bubbles that um, allow the child to go in and do you know, some of the exercises and there are coloring and journaling pages, there are affirmations, there are things like, let's just talk about feelings and how do we get from this face to this face? Right. You know, so we ask the child to draw, we talk about things like, you know, just some basic coping skills, write about how you're feeling. We, we try to get them to start using their imagination and it's just really a, a great companion book for kids. But what I've also found in sharing the book, uh, we've had over 650 books purchased and donated to different organizations. And the feedback that I've been getting from the adults is either, oh, I forgot about this coping skill or I had no idea. I had no idea when I was taking those deep breaths that this was helping me reset my brain. You know, I had no idea. I wasn't even thinking about one of one dad said to me, you know what, Carla, like the book says, mad is easier than sad for me. Mm -hmm. And so I've got to, you know, I've got to be aware of that. You know, when I'm getting angry, is there really something else behind it? Right. We don't think as adults that our feelings are linked to something else. We use the negative to cover up something else that we're actually feeling. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really important that we help our kids mm -hmm. connect with their feelings and understand what they're feeling. And for us to do that, we have to do some of that work ourselves. Exactly. And so my, my big notebook is now being used by mental health professionals like therapists and psychologists. Um, we've had like 100 copies donated to a local hospital here in Charlotte, Levine Children's Hospital. And they give them to the children uh, that are in the hospital just for them to be able to express feelings in a healthy way. And so, uh, and we have some elementary schools that have been giving the book out. And, and, you know, my big goal is to get my big notebook in the hands of every elementary school age child in the country, because I feel that strongly that, you know, kids need an outlet and they need to learn young to be able to express. Like my son expresses a lot through music. So we have a story in there about the therapist he was working with, you know, they used to do like raps to music and they would record them and then he would listen to them later and, and, and it helped him with just processing those feelings and what he felt in the moment and how he can get to like, it's okay to feel what you feel. And then how do I get to a point where I'm okay or I'm doing a little better? 
And so that that's what we've really been doing with my big notebook. So I'm super excited, you know, to be on your show and to be able to share with your audience about the book. That is a super important thing. I, I wish more teachers and schools would listen and say, Hey, we need this as a tool for our students. There's not a student out there that does not need to learn how to use their emotions. That's right. It doesn't matter if they're from a loving home or not so loving home. Doesn't matter because because here's the thing. I mean, some might might have a more urgent need, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day with the pandemic, with all the things going on in this society, like our kids have been through a lot. And And they need to learn how to just experience their feelings and understand like, oh, my body is hot and I'm feeling prickly and, you know, oh, I'm getting upset. I'm flushed, you know, whatever that looks like to be able to identify those things. And that's part of how we help kids with self-regulation. Exactly. But we are almost out of time. So where can our listeners and our viewers find you and your books? Certainly. So they can go to mybignotebook.com. And if they go to mybignotebook.com, it will take them to the main page about my big notebook. And on that page, my son, JC, who is now 12, talks about my big notebook, why it's important and um, how to use it. From there, you can explore the rest of my website, which is CarlaACarlisle.com. But if you go to MyBigNotebook.com, you'll find it all. And that talks about my other books and the workshops that I do. You can take a look at my TEDx talk called Becoming Trauma-Informed Change My Life. And I'm also on all social media platforms at Carla A. Carlisle. And Carlisle is C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for sharing your journey with us today. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your night. And for our viewers and our listeners, happy healing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.